0: Reading today is taken from Luke 10 verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to the test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, "What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law?" he replied, "How do you read it?"
1: He answered,
0: "Love the Lord, our God, with all our your heart." With all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, Passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Good afternoon. It's a privilege
1: to be with you. Can you see me? I'm very short and I'm quite dark, so you can see me. That's fantastic. Uh, I grew up in Brighton uh, on the south coast. I was born into a mixed-race family. Uh, My mother was from India, my father was from Malaysia, my father's father was from Sri Lanka. And as you can probably guess, my mother's father was from Ireland. And uh, so I enjoy being an international person. And uh, our family reflects that. I married a woman who's half English and half Welsh. Uh, We have seven children. Uh, Three of whom are biologically connected to us, four of whom aren't, and those children come from the UK but have ethnic origins from all around the world, which is super exciting. It it makes the Olympics difficult because we don't quite know who to cheer for. I grew up and went to an all-boys comprehensive school in Brighton, and it was strange because we were all from the same town, we were all from the same social demographic group, um, and yet... In our class, we had names for everybody. Uh, I was called Paki, which is interesting because I'm probably related to most people in South Asia, but not Pakistan. <laughs> but I'm brown, and so that was enough to allow me to be Paki. Uh, the tall boy in our class, he was called Lanky. Uh, the lad who had a nervous uh, tick, he was called Twitcher. Uh, the Chinese boy, I'm not even going to repeat the name that we called him. It's strange, isn't it? In a class like that, we were all very similar, at an exact same stage in life, and yet we managed to focus on the things that differentiated us from one another. We dehumanised each other by putting each other into different groups. Some would say that's, that's very natural, that's what society wants us to do. We want to kind of find out who's in and who's out. Who do we have responsibility for and who are the outsiders or the strangers? We're living in an increasingly polarised world. Every day uh, on the news we hear about uh, Remainers and Brexiteers and and, and that's the divide currently in our politics, isn't it? Whether you're a red or a blue or an orange, it's whether you are in or out that seems to matter. In America, their politics is even more divided, isn't it? As uh, the the shenanigans that are going on behind closed doors in the White House may be being revealed through this recent book. And so you might think, well, that's just the way society is. It's always going to be about division. Who's in and who's out? Well, I want to tell you there's another way of seeing life. And we have great hope uh, to find another way of being. And I became a Christian partly because of the evidence that proved who Jesus was, but actually partly because of the teaching that he brought and another way of being in the world. And this parable is a great way of helping us understand what it means to be a Christian and how being a Christian should change the way that we relate to other people, even those other people that we don't share demographic links with, ethnic links with, or even political links with. So let's dive in a little bit. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at different chapters of Luke's Gospel, because at the beginning of the year, what a great person for us to be looking at, the person of Jesus. This week, we'll look at a parable. Next week, we'll look at a conversation. And the week after, we'll look at a miracle. A miracle. But all the time, I want us to be learning, I suppose, allowing the character and personality of Jesus to be enlarging our minds, but also enlarging our hearts. So let me read a little bit back to you, as we had so well read to us uh, earlier. Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Uh, Don't you love the arrogance of this conversation? Here is a mortal human being standing up to test Jesus if you read the rest of Luke's gospel you know this is the son of God God incarnate and he's a human being going to put God to the test God in the dock as you will he starts off very politely teacher that's a term of great endearment isn't it rabbi this man is an expert in the law and yet he still calls Jesus a rabbi but we know his intentions he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life that's a strange question Um, My oldest child is 18, and and I don't know how long it is before uh, I'm in a stage when uh, they might be wondering about their inheritance, about how our will is being divided up. With seven children, it's not looking good uh, for many of them. But imagine my oldest son comes to me and says, Dad, what must I do to earn a bigger slice of your inheritance? I'd be offended by the question, wouldn't I? This idea that that, that an inheritance is a reward for good behaviour, it's the wrong mindset, isn't it? An inheritance is a gift that you give out of love, not because it's been earned. So the question is wrong to begin with. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And whether you're a Christian here today, or whether you're someone exploring the Christian faith, a lot of people inside and outside of the church have this idea that your inheritance with God is something that's earned. That if you're a good Christian, if you turn up at church and read the Bible and pray a lot, God will love you more. That's a flawed mindset. And Jesus is going to blow this person's mind to see that they've been asking the wrong question all along. But Jesus plays along. Have a look in verse 28. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Here's a good good response. Answer a question with a question. Maybe some of you who have been in politics a long time know the value of replying with a question. And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. I want you to know this really is an expert in the law. He has accurately summarised over 630 Old Testament laws with just two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. That is a truly brilliant summation of the Old Testament. It's interesting, isn't it? A lot of people have an idea that the God of the Old Testament is pretty brutal and mean. And you've still got to earn your favour with him. But this expert in the law has understood that even in the Old Testament, God is a God of love. And the way that we respond to him is with love to him and love to neighbour. He's got something right. Jesus gives him an A star. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Obey the law. Love God fully and love your neighbour fully, and you've got nothing to fear from God. Many of us measure ourselves up against that and realise we've all failed. None of us have loved God as we ought to have done or loved our neighbour as we ought. To. But this man's still up for a bit of debate, and so he challenges Jesus again. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Who do I need to love? Who's in and who's out? For a lot of people, your neighbour is obviously your immediate family. You've got to care for your immediate family. Or maybe it's someone um, that's within your specific ethnic group. Maybe for a Jew asking this question, he would have assumed that other Jewish people within the nation were his to care for. But Jesus answers this question with a parable, probably his most famous. And as we look at it, we'll learn... What does true religion look like? And what does true hospitality look like? Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. This was a known dangerous route. He might have said someone should have lobbied an MP to build better lighting or better access, but it was a known dodgy route. And so it's no surprise that this man was beaten up on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. So who is going to come along and help? Well, the first two visitors along the road, as you know, if you know this parable at all, were very religious people. They were professional believers. One was a priest, one was a Levite. One served in the temple, one another expert in the law. Let's see what happens. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. It wasn't, he didn't notice him. In fact, it's because he saw him that he moved further away. A Levite, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, saw the man and moved further away. Away, There's no claim of ignorance here. He saw what was happening and distanced himself from the man. He's not my responsibility. He's someone else's problem. And so he distanced himself. Now for a lot of people, they were used to this kind of threefold structure. Maybe you know the jokes about the Englishman and the Scotsman and the Irishman. And the Irishman's always the butt of the joke. So who's going to be the third person coming down the road? I think most people listening would have hoped it would have been a good Jewish layman. These, these religious types are always full of hypocrisy, they do a great job in church, but when the rubber hits the road they're no good for anything. So maybe they were expecting a layperson to come. But Jesus blows their minds by saying, a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. True religion is not just turning up in church, it's not just singing the songs, it's not just reading your Bible. True religion, according to Jesus, is to care for those that are in need. Even if they're not from your demographic, your group, your ethnicity. Jesus does something pretty astounding here. If it had been a Samaritan man that was injured and a good Jewish person helped him, that would have been radical. But Jesus makes it even more radical, doesn't he? He says, actually, you believers, you Jewish uh, believers, there's things that you can learn from people that are outside of your little group. Other people are putting you to shame by the way that they're treating the vulnerable. Christianity does not have a monopoly on kindness and compassion in the world. I've been astounded by non-Christian foster carers and adoptive parents that are going the extra mile to care for vulnerable children without the support of, of the person of the Holy Spirit or the church wrapping around them to give them the help that they need. Jesus says there's no limits of who can show mercy. But he shows us what, that religion can't just be about us and God. For many Christians... Uh, their relationship with God is the most important, in fact, the only important part of their life. And they close their eyes to the problems in the world today. They're not engaged in mercy or compassion. It's all prayer and Bible study. And Jesus is very critical here, isn't he, of the priest and the Levite, who had spent their time in the temple, they'd done their offerings and their sacrifices, but when they saw someone in need, the, they put distance between. Them. True religion, says James. Is to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. The true test of discipleship is not what you sing, it's what you do. It's not that these things will earn you a place and a relationship with God. No, they're a demonstration that you've got a relationship with God. You see, if you've received the grace of God in your life, it's explosive. It begins to transform, yes, how you relate to God, but always how you relate to your neighbour. You see, Jesus puts these two commands together, that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, strength and mind and we're supposed to love our neighbour. If we don't love our neighbour, we don't love our God. I went to visit a friend recently and he had a sign outside his house. It said, love me, love my dog. If I didn't like dogs, I was never going to get on well with this man. Jesus says the same, love me, love your neighbour. Those two are connected Because when we meet another person, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their background, whatever their politics, we meet someone made in the image of God. And how we treat someone made in the image of God is an indicator of our relationship with God. But did you notice the level of hospitality? We've seen true religion at work. But what about true hospitality? Do you notice how this Samaritan, when he saw the man, he increased his proximity rather than his distance? He moved towards trouble rather than away from it. He put himself in danger in order to help another person. I love that. I love that it wasn't enough that the priest and the Levite were professionals. They could have said they were coming back from the temple. They'd had a hard day. They'd done their hard work. They'd done their religious service. They were off duty. Jesus says, no, you're never off duty. We're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind all the time. And we're supposed to love our neighbour all the time too. And so true hospitality means increasing proximity with those that are in need. It's not enough just to pass legislation. It's not enough just to lobby. It's not just enough, enough just to pray. Somehow our lives need to touch those who are in need. That's a real challenge. If anyone had an excuse he had better things to do, it was Jesus. He's the son of God on earth and yet he's known to be a friend of the poor and a a lover of the sinner and the tax collector in proximity with those that need it most. Do you see his generosity? He he gets personally involved. He he provides transport. He provides hospitality. His generosity knows almost no limits. It's uncanny, isn't it? I'm not just going to help you now and get somewhere safe. I'm going to look after your financial needs into the future and I'm going to come back and make sure everything's okay. This kind of hospitality is radical, isn't it? I'm challenged by this parable, because Jesus says, look, if you are a believer, if you've been touched by the grace of God, if you've, if you've received part of your inheritance from God, you will go and do likewise. Every day, our world is in need. Every day, in our towns and our cities, there are vulnerable children and vulnerable adults That need our love and care and attention, they need our proximity and they need our generosity. Friends, I don't know about you, but I fall short of this kind of love. And I'm grateful that in the end my relationship with God is not dependent ultimately on what I've done, but on what God has done for me. And so I'm grateful that I'm never going to be able to love God as I should or love my neighbour as I should. But Jesus, by his grace, has died on a cross for me that I could receive his grace but now having received that grace I want to pass that on everywhere I go. I pray that as you do your work here and it's such important work that you may know the grace of God in all that you do. You may know true religion and true hospitality. Can I ask you to stand? I'm going to say a prayer and then we're going to sing our final hymn together. Father God, thank you that even though none of us have lived as we should have done, yet you pour grace into our lives. Thank you, Lord God, that you came close. You increased proximity with humanity when you came and was born as a baby in a manger. Lord, thank you for your great generosity to us that though we were sinners and far away from you, you lavished your mercy on us and adopted us into your family. Lord, having received that grace, Would you give us eyes to see people that are in need? And would you give us courage to go closer into their lives and show them the grace that we've received from you? We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.